0: Um, You're going to need a Bible Uh, if you brought one, and you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. Uh, We have two weeks left in this great book of the Bible, Uh, so go ahead and flip there. Um, If you have kids, you'll know that um, a lot of times kids ask very interesting questions, questions that you're like, ah... I don't know if I have an answer for you. Um, And if you're uh, followers of Jesus and you're kind of teaching your kids uh, about the gospel, you'll know that kids ask very interesting spiritual questions that sometimes you're like, I'm drawing a blank here. Um, I have so many examples of this, but uh, it was a few years ago and it was a Sunday night and a lot of times our uh, interesting discussions happen around the dinner table but I can't remember which kid it was, but um, they said, "So when we go to heaven, we're all babies, right?" And it was kind of like, "What? Yeah. So like when, when we go to heaven to be with Jesus, we all turn into babies." And my first thought was like, I'm going to have to fire Emily. What is she teaching in Kid Zone? I'm just kidding. But as we like probed a bit, it was like the topic in Kids Zone had been Nicodemus. You must be born again. And so in my kid's mind, then when you follow Jesus and then you go to be with him, you're born again as a baby. And so we're all babies in heaven. It was just kind of like, well, no. And then trying to explain what does being born again mean to a five-year-old, right? Uh, But it was interesting. And I'm sure you have lots of examples of this, right? Where there's just like really, sometimes very sincere questions of of spiritual things. Um, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, he's been trying to answer some questions about the resurrection, right? He's been explaining what is the resurrection going to be like? And he's talking about a future event, right? When followers of Jesus are resurrected to spend eternity with Jesus in resurrected bodies. And I'm sure that as we've studied these things or as you've thought about them, lots of questions come to mind. What age are we going to be? So if I die when I'm like 90, am I stuck in a 90-year-old body? Is there a certain age? I've heard people say, well, Jesus was 33, so we'll all be 33. Okay, but does it say that? What, what, kind of, what, are, what, are, our, what are our bodies going to be like? There's certain things that I'm like, we can shave off a little bit, right? Off the sides maybe, and then just kind of get rid of this gut maybe. What, are our, what will they be like? Will you have scars and deformities and things like that that you maybe have now? I don't like that mole. Maybe I'll get that mole removed in in heaven, in the new earth. Will we be able to recognize each other? Will you go, oh, Peter Bergen, it's you. You made it. Or will we not recognize each other? Sometimes after Jesus was raised from the dead, people recognize him, and sometimes they didn't. So what's it going to be like? Will there be pain in heaven? Is that possible? So like if in the new earth, if I just stood at the top of a waterfall and jumped off and landed, kersplat, would you just respawn like in a video game at the top and be like, that didn't hurt at all? I mean, these are questions. What's it going to be like? So when the Bible says that we're going to be resurrected from the dead, is that like, you know, in the graveyards, all the bodies raised up like zombies? Is that what it's going to be like? What about cremation? So if your if my loved one says, I want my ashes to be spread in the Atlantic Ocean, what what happens at the resurrection? Does all the dust come back? And you know, the nose takes a little bit longer because it was over on the other side of the planet. I'm obviously being silly, but these are questions. What is it gonna look like? What will it be like? And and some of them are actually really good questions. How is it gonna work? Um questions are good. There's nothing wrong with questions. I've actually met quite a few people who grew up in a system of religion where it was like don't ask questions. Questions show a lack of faith. Just believe, which is just nonsense. Questions are great. It is good to ask questions as we as we wrestle with things that we believe. But you know, right, that how you ask a question is really important. Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, asked Jesus all sorts of questions, but they could care less about the answers, right? They were asking questions sarcastically and trying to trap Jesus. Oh, so if, my, if I die and then my brother marries my wife and then his brother, whose spouse are they in heaven? It's just nonsense, right? They're just asking questions to show how ridiculous it, it is. How you ask a question is important, Um, In our section of Scripture this morning, starting in verse 35, Paul is going to answer some questions. So just look, verse 35, Paul says, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Paul's using uh, the idea of an imaginary debate partner. Right? You've seen, that. someone will ask. You've probably had conversations like that. Well, one of you in this room is asking, wink, wink. We know who it is, right? That's what Paul's doing. Someone, this imaginary person, which is like, you Corinthians, it's you, but I'm just trying to be nice about it. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? And it's questions being asked sarcastically. What kind of body do they come? Really, Paul? This body that has aches and pains and I'm getting old and I'm weak? Really? This body's going to live forever? What kind of bodies are we going to have, Paul? Right? So it's, it's not genuine questions. It's mocking questions. Doesn't make any sense. Resurrected from the dead? Paul, what is that going to look like? That's why he says at the beginning of verse 36, you foolish person. So it seems harsh. Basically, in, in the original language, he's just calling, the, you fool. And you go, why? Why? Because... People in Corinth were completely removing God from the equation. Remember, the predominant worldview in Corinth was there is no resurrection. Physical is bad. Spiritual is good. When you die, you just kind of float away and you exist in this spiritual ether. Right? So then Paul, Christians, come along and they go, actually, in the end, it's a physical eternity. You'll be raised from the dead. And so then they're asking questions. Well, Paul, that doesn't make any sense. According to their worldview, right? It makes no sense, Paul. So Paul says, you fool. Why? Because they're completely removing the all-powerful God from the equation. Um, Psalm 14.1, it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says, there can't be a resurrection because it's not possible. Removing the all-powerful God from the equation. So what's Paul going to do? What, Paul's going to answer these hypothetical questions. How are the dead raised? Um, what kind of bodies do they come in? And he's going to answer these questions uh, talking about three new things that we will have, um, two in the future, and one that we have right now. Paul's going to say that we're going to have a new body, then he's going to say we'll have a new taunt, and then now we have a new motivation. So first off, Paul's whole first point is that we will have a new body, verses 35-35. To 49. So look at verse 36. Paul says, You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or uh, some other grain. But God gives it a body as he's chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. He's he's using an example from agriculture to show that actually the idea of resurrection already exists in, in a way, not fully, but in a way it already exists. We see this in creation. He says when you plant a seed, right, you take a, 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 a grain, a piece of grain, or you uh, plant a tulip bulb and you put it in the ground, and then God miraculously does his work, and what comes up is not Exactly what you put in the ground, right? So let's say I wanted to plant tulips in my garden. Would I go to Savon and buy a bouquet of tulips and then just throw them in the ground and bury them and say, hopefully tulips come up? No, that doesn't make any sense. You buy a tulip bulb, which does a tulip bulb look like a, a tulip flower? Not really. And you put that in the ground, and then you bury it, and then you water it, and you make the conditions right, and then what comes up? A tulip. Now, was that bulb a tulip? Yeah, it had all the potential for it. But it was a bulb, right? It was, it's the same, but it's different, isn't it? So Paul's saying, look, the idea of resurrection, it kind of already exists in, cult, in, uh, in, in creation in a small way. You put grain in the, you put seeds in the ground, and then God raises those seeds to a new and a different body related to the seed that it came from. God's the one, right, that brings it to life and makes it flourish in the environment that it's in. He, he continues on, verse 39. For not all flesh is the same. For there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. And you're like, okay, what is... What's Paul getting at? Paul Paul says the same kind of idea exists in the animal kingdom. We have humans, we have animals, we have birds, we have fish. Each body is suited for the place that it's in. That's why I can't take a fish out of the water and throw it in the air and say, Why aren't you flourishing like all the other birds? So when it talks about our bodies, this is what he's getting at in the resurrection because people were saying, Paul, it's ridiculous to think that my body as it is now will live forever. Yeah, that's like trying to make a fish fly. Paul's saying, right, there's different bodies and God has made each one flourish in the place that it's in. He says, verse 40, same in the universe, right? There's heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly body is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. Right? God is able to create different types of of bodies. And he's using the the word body loosely. He can create sun and moon and stars. He can create your body, animals' bodies, fish' bodies, bird' bodies. He can create all of these different types of things. And he, he, he has no problem coming up with shapes and sizes and substances for each item in his universe. That's not hard for God. Here's Paul's whole point, verse 42. So is it with the resurrection of the dead, right? So he's, he's used all these examples, and then this is his point. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a, a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So Paul's whole point is Your resurrection body is not the same as your flesh and blood right now. It will be different. The resurrection, when Jesus returns, it's going to transform your your body. It'll be you, but it will be different. And he gives four differences between our mortal bodies as they are now and what our resurrection bodies will be like. He says your mortal body right now is perishable And that word means that it's corrupt, it's decaying, it's rotten, is what he says. And as you age, you know this. So I'll give a funny story about my wife. She loves it when I talk about her. She went to the eye doctor, right? And she's nearing 40. We're a few years away from 40. But she got the first, well, you're just getting older, Right? She had an eye appointment and there were some problems with her eyes and, and stuff like that, and dry eyes and blah, blah, blah. And the, the reason was, the doctor said, Well, I mean, you're just getting older. Right? But that's what Paul means when he says your mortal body right now, flesh and blood, it's just getting older. It's, it's decaying. The, more, the longer you live, the more aches and pains and things happen to your body. It, we're not immortal. But he says, but at the resurrection, what will your resurrection body be like? It will be imperishable, which literally means immortal. Your body won't decay. It's not gonna be corrupt. It's not gonna be rotten. You won't experience aches and pains and eye problems and hearing problems. Paul says it's gonna be different. The second thing he says is that our mortal bodies, were, they're sown in dishonor. So what he means is that the, the things that we use our bodies for now are dishonorable. We have sinful natures. We, have, we use our bodies for sin and for dishonorable things. And then he says, in the resurrection, your body will be glorious. There, there, there won't be any sin. You won't have a sin nature. So you, your body won't be used for dishonor. It'll be different. He says, your mortal body is weak, right? It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. And again, it's similar. Like, the older you get, oftentimes your your muscles become weaker and your body gets slower. It's just a fact of life. But he says, but in that day, your bodies won't be weak. You'll be raised in power. And then lastly, he says, "Your, your, your mortal body, it's... It's sown it's in, in a natural body. He says, your body right now is natural, but in the resurrection it will be spiritual. Now, I have to clarify, because Paul's not using physical and spiritual like we use in our day and age. Because again, we use, uh, spiritual is immaterial. And that's not how he's using the word. He's not saying spiritual is invisible and you can't see it and it's not physical. He's saying spiritual means supernatural. So he says you're going to have a spiritual body. He doesn't mean, oh, I'll just float around in my spirit. No, but your spiritual body is different from just a natural body because it is made possible by the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. So he had, a, he had a spiritual body, and yet it was still physical, but his body was supernatural. Paul says you're, you have to be completely transformed by the power of the resurrection to spend eternity with Jesus in a physical body. It's not like your body right now. See, that's important because that was what the Corinthians had heard from Paul, or how, how they had interpreted Well, when you say that we live forever in a physical body, you mean our bodies right now? And Paul's like, no, of course not. Your body right now is going to be way different from your resurrection body. Verse 45, he continues and he's comparing Adam and Jesus again, if you remember last week. 45, he says, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam became a life giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are out of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also those who are of heaven. Just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of of heaven. So again, right? he's comparing Adam and Jesus. He is saying, you inherited these mortal decaying bodies from Adam and yet you are going to receive immortal resurrected bodies from Jesus. Right? He's giving the the comparison. Adam came from the dust. Jesus came from heaven. Adam, what he gave us was just a decaying mortal body. Jesus is going to give us a resurrected immortal body. So again, resurrection does not mean resuscitation of a corpse. Like we ha- It means transformation. Resurrection doesn't just mean right that your corpse is just raised from the dead as it is now. No, you're going to be completely transformed on that day. Philippians 3, uh, Paul explains it again. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here it is, who will transform our lowly bodies, right, our bodies as they are now, to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, listen, I'm aware that this is a hard thing to, to process because we have no category for this. Jesus is the only one who exists in this category right now. The cat, Like, Jesus right now is is in an immortal, resurrected body forever. He's the only one that exists in that category. So when we look at creation, it's hard for us because nothing fits this category. Like, think of it. When Jesus stood before his disciples, they were looking at the first and only piece of incorruptible, uh, incorruptible physicality in the entire universe. They were looking at a unique thing that had never happened before. Jesus is physical, and yet he's immortal? How is this possible? So it's hard for us, right? And and then when you read the gospel accounts, and you you try and wrap around or wrap your mind around what the resurrection will be like, because there's there's there is this air of mystery. I mean, Jesus ate, right? He had a physical body. He ate food with his disciples after he made breakfast for them, and they ate fish together on the beach. And yet Jesus appears to be able to go through walls. His disciples are in a locked room, and all of a sudden he appears in front of them. Hey, guys. Ah! Right? Jesus is recognizable by his disciples, and Jesus has his scars. He's like, look, it's me. And yet, on the road to Emmaus, he walks with two of his disciples, and they don't recognize him. And then they eat a meal with him, and then when Jesus breaks the, the bread, suddenly they recognize him, and Jesus disappears. And you're like... How is this possible? Is he flesh and blood or not, right? So our minds, we we don't have a category for this. So we go, man, this is so hard to understand. I agree. Here's one of the reasons it's hard for us. I think we all struggle with believing naturalism. Whether you admit it or not, the predominant worldview in the West that you've grown up with is naturalism the spiritual doesn't exist and i know we're christians and we go well yes it does but listen you have s- you swam in the culture of naturalism that says there is no miraculous there is no spiritual life there aren't angels and demons there's nothing that happens after you die we can explain everything from a physical point of view it has to be natural so then we hear things like this and you've you've grown up in a world that says this kind of stuff doesn't happen So it's hard for us to go, yes, actually it does. So I would would like Paul to say, don't be a fool. Don't leave the power of God out of the equation where we go, resurrection makes no sense because it's impossible from a naturalistic point of view. Agreed. But you're removing the power of God. And we do this lots as Christians, right? There's a lot in here that without the power of God... Just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Right? And we hear this lots. And then what happens is that, is that Christians, we try and explain the Bible from a naturalistic worldview to make it more palatable for people. No, 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 no. It's not crazy. Oh, no, no, no. Maybe it's not a worldwide flood. No, 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 no. The ark is not this because you look at the ark and you're like, man, that sounds impossible. Yeah, sure. Jonah was swallowed by a fish. Well, it's a metaphorical fish. No, it's not. But is it impossible? Yeah, probably. There's lots in here that if you take God out of the equation and you only approach the Bible naturally, you'll go, "What kind of bodies do we have, Paul?" Sounds silly. And Paul says, "Yeah, without the transforming power of God, it is impossible." So don't be the fool and remove God from the equation and try and explain away everything. From a naturalistic point of view. Paul's whole first point is we are going to have new bodies. Your body as it is now is not the body that you will have for all eternity. It will be you, but it will be different. It will be completely transformed. Now, some of the questions that we have aren't answered. What age will we be? I don't know. What will we look like? I don't know for sure. Right? What about Cremation. I, I don't know for sure. But Paul's whole first point is isn't this amazing? You're going to have a new body that is immortal. Praise God. Paul's second point. So we'll have new bodies. Secondly, we will have a new taunt. Verses 50 to 57. So verse 50 says this I tell you this, brothers flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit. The imperishable. So, what Paul's not saying is, oh, physicality can't inherit the kingdom. It's only spiritual. No, he's, he means flesh and blood as it is now, your decaying body cannot inherit the kingdom of God forever, right? We need a resurrection, right? The perishable, like we are now, we can't inherit the imperishable, right? The mortal, our bodies now, can't inherit the immortal. He's, he's saying we need a resurrection. But here's the question, right? So some people could be thinking, okay, so you use the analogy of a seed. You talk about that we die. So I die, and then God raises me from the dead. A natural question would be, what happens if I'm alive when Jesus comes back? Do I have to die to be raised from the dead? What if I don't die? Right? Paul's going to say that. Verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery, We shall not all sleep, so he means die, not all of us are going to die, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. So Paul answers the question well, what happens if, I re- if Jesus returns and I'm still alive? He says, well, in the twinkling of an eye, we use in the blink of an eye, your body will be changed. Well, what's it going to look like? I don't know. But isn't that fantastic news? That when Jesus returns, if you've died, you'll be raised from the dead to a resurrection life. And if you're alive, when Jesus returns, your body will be transformed instantly into an immortal resurrected body. So verse 54 then says this: when the perishable put on, puts on the imperishable, and when the mortal puts on immortality, so when's that? When Jesus returns, then shall come to pass the saying that is written: Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin. Is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to have a fantastic new taunt when that day happens. Like, Can you imagine saying, death, where's your sting? So I don't know if you watch sports, but lots of times um, if you are watching sports with friends and uh, your team is losing... Right? And they're just kind of like, oh, what's happening? Can't do much, eh? And but then if your team comes back, oh, isn't it great to just rub that in their face? I mean, this is my sinful nature speaking, but it's like, oh, what's up now? Looks like we took the lead in your face. Paul's saying, we're gonna do that to death. We're not saying, we're not asking a real question. Oh, death, where is your victory? We're gonna say, what's up, death? Like, listen, death who has stood over every human being that has ever been born and said, I own you, will say on that day, not anymore, death. Like you have watched loved ones be eaten by death. And I have. But on that day we're gonna say, not so strong anymore, are you, death? And we're gonna taunt it because it has lost all power when our mortal bodies put on immortality. And this is good news. We'll say, death, what happened? Where's your victory? Where's your sting, death? And Paul says that if it weren't for sin, right, the sting of death is sin. Sin introduced death into the world. Death would have no sting if it wasn't for Adam's rebellion. And then he said, like, so again, death is not a a normal, natural human process. And we say that lots. Because I think we're just so used to, well, it's just a part of life. And we say things like, well, death is natural. But it's really not. Death is the result of deadly poison. It is sin itself working its way out and corrupting our bodies and causing us to die. It's not natural. And then Paul says the power of sin is the law. What does he mean by that? What he means is that the law of God... Only strengthen the power of sin by showing us how sinful and helpless we truly are. The law condemns us. Um, One author said this, the law, which is good, functions as the agent of sin because it either leads to pride of achievement on the one hand or it reveals the depths of one's depravity and rebellion against God on the other. In either case, it becomes death dealing instead of life giving. That's why Paul says in Romans, no one... By works of the law, no one is saved. The law is good because it shows God's righteous standard. But for us, it's death because we look at it and either we become prideful and say, look how great I am. I'm obeying 85% of the law. Or we look at the law and go, woe is me. I can't do any of this. And yet, it doesn't end there because Jesus fulfilled the law that stood against us and he dealt with our sin on the cross. And then, when he was raised from the dead, he defeated death. And Paul says, But thanks be to God, he gave us victory through the Lord Jesus. So, we don't taunt death because we're just so brave. We taunt death because of Christ. We say, Death, you got nothing now. Our our taunt will be fully realized. On the day of the resurrection, when we say death has, no, death has been thrown into hell. But even now, death still hurts. But if you're a follower of Jesus, it's like a snake that's been defanged. Uh, one pastor, I, I listened to a sermon. He, he said, Christians actually never really die. The moment your, your mortal body breathes, it la, breathes its last breath, you're in the presence of Jesus until that day when he returns and you're reunited with your body. Followers of Jesus never really die. So even now, yes, the sting of death, we feel it when we lose loved ones and, 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 and it still hurts, but, but it's lost its power. Um, I've had several near death experiences in life and one recently some of you know the plane crash that i was in a few years ago and someone asked me um when you were in the water uh kind of trapped in the plane were you afraid of dying and i could i could honestly say not trying to sound brave i said actually no (laughs) like incredible peace drowning and my only thought was okay jesus take care of my wife and kids but if this is it, man, I'm so excited to see you. Which is weird. But death, death has no power. Um, Tim Keller died this past year, and uh, his final words, he said this, "I'm thankful for the time God has given me, but I am ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. There is no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. So listen, uh, that taunt won't be realized fully until Jesus returns and death is thrown into hell and is gone forever. But even now, if you're a follower of Jesus, death has kind of lost its power. And yes, don't, I'm not saying that we just, oh, you shouldn't cry and you shouldn't mourn. No, of course we do. It still hurts. But as followers of Jesus, we shouldn't fear death. Lastly, uh, We have a new motivation. Verse 58, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Um, Paul concludes this. This is the summation of all of chapter 15. right? There's the therefore. So in summary, Paul is saying, I've talked about the resurrection, I've talked about the gospel, why the resurrection of Jesus is true, why we're going to receive new resurrection bodies. He says, therefore, so in light of all of that, here's the application of the resurrection. Number one, he says, be steadfast and immovable. The word steadfast means to be well-seated. And immovable, immovable is pretty obvious. It means that it's something that doesn't move. It doesn't change its status. So Paul's saying, the the resurrection should make you, make your faith rock solid. Do Do you remember at the very beginning, Paul said, this is the gospel that I preach to you. This is what you're standing in. And his whole point as he ends is, what you're standing in is not a wobbly table that you're hoping stands firm. He says, no, actually, you can be steadfast, well-seated, and immovable because the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, rock solid. So be steadfast. Um, There's so many examples, right, um, that you read about when... uh, high school kids finally graduate and go to college and then they have an atheist professor who just starts to like poke holes and so many young adults are you know walk away from the faith because they go oh man this is not real and it's a make-believe and paul's whole point showing the the historical reliability of the life death and resurrection of jesus is that kind of stuff should not sway you yes research answers and reasons for why you believe. But when your atheist professor says, oh, Christianity is a big joke, you should say, actually, I can point to the historical reliability. I'm steadfast, immovable. Um, in in the last church I was at, um, I worked part-time in this little neighborhood church called Cornerstone Neighborhood Church. And there was a, a man by the name of Guy who um, was a, uh, uh, one of the members there, and he was like a very, 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 very analytical um, person. Think Spock, like almost robotic, right? Some of you have Sp- Star Trek, no? Uh, but just very analytical, very reasonable. I must. And he, and he shared his testimony. So you go, people like that. See, Christians are kind of painted sometimes as not reasonable, not logical, very wishy-washy. And all of the smart, reasonable people are atheists. But if you heard this guy's testimony, he came from Christianity from the point of view, um, I'm actually going to investigate this from a scientific point of view. I'm going to use my reason and my logic to, to analyze and dissect the claims of Jesus and the apostles. And as he did it, he said, this is rock solid. Christianity is a rock-solid worldview. It is the only worldview that can account for all the things that we see in the universe. And then he said, now I have a responsibility. I'm going to place my trust in Jesus. And it led him to faith. We often hear the opposite, don't we? Oh, I had this crazy transcendent experience, and then I put my faith in Jesus. And I don't know any answers to any of the scientific uh, oppositions to the faith. He came from it the opposite way. I examined all of it. All of it makes sense, therefore I will put my faith in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? We don't have a faith that's just close your eyes and follow blindly. Paul's whole point is, this is verifiable. Um, even in Acts 26, there's a, a fantastic story when um, Paul is able to share his faith in front of the king. Right, and Agrippa, and Festus, and Bernice, and all of these high, uh, dignified leaders, and he shares the gospel, and then Festus pipes up and says, "Paul, you're out of your mind." Which maybe some of you have received that kind of uh, criticism. You Christians are out of your not mind. Notice what Paul says. He says, but Paul said, "I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. I'm speaking true and rational words." For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Isn't that great? Paul's shared the gospel, and they say, you're out of your mind, and he says, I I know that I'm not. I'm speaking truth and rational words, and he says, king, you know that this is true. Why? Because the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus didn't happen in a corner somewhere. You know that it's a fact. So listen, you can be be steadfast and immovable in your faith. It's not a wishy-washy, close your eyes, don't ask questions, just believe. The life, death, resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact. So be immovable. Secondly, Paul tells us that we must always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The resurrection of Jesus motivates us to abound in the work of the Lord because our work's not in vain. Um, The word abounding, always abounding, means to go over and above. Go over and above in your labor because it's not empty and foolish. If you wanted to translate it, right... Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that it's not in vain, you could say always go over and above in your work for Jesus, knowing that in Jesus your toil is not empty or foolish. Because of the resurrection, all of the sacrifices that you make in this life, um, it's worth it. Because of what's coming. So be encouraged. Right, A lot of times, we, we again buy into the naturalistic worldview where we're like, this life is all there is. So I can't make sacrifices, and I can't give, and I can't serve, and I can't do things for Jesus because i got to protect. All I have is this. And Paul's whole point is, listen, if you sacrifice for the Lord, it is never in vain. Ever, 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 ever. Because of what's coming. Paul says, any sacrifice you make in the grand scheme of eternity is so tiny. So abound in it. abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that it's not in vain. So be encouraged. The resurrection uh, yes, speaks to our glorious future, and it'll be glorious far more than any mere human being can try and describe to you. But the resurrection also, it transforms our life now, doesn't it? Because we say, "Yeah, I'll gladly make sacrifices. I know what's coming. Paul Paul says, right, he talks about their light, momentary affliction is creating for them this glory that's to come. So when we go through hardship and pain and suffering, to have that perspective, yeah, it still sucks here. I don't want to go through pain, but to go, ah, this pain on earth, it's actually accomplishing something. I know what's coming. So, brothers and sisters, be steadfast and immovable. The resurrection is true. True. And all of your labor is never in vain. So, Father, thank you for your word. I just such an encouragement. God, I know that there's still things about our future resurrection that we just don't understand. There's questions that we ask that that may not ever be answered. But, God, that doesn't negate the truth of it, that one day our bodies are going to be transformed when you return, you are going to give us perfect, resurrected bodies that will live forever with you. And what a day that will be. So God, I thank you that the Christian faith is not unreasonable. I, I thank you that we're not told as Christians, we'll just throw out your reason and your logic and just believe blindly. Paul has spent a whole chapter arguing for the historical validity of your life, death, and resurrection, that it happened. So we can be steadfast and immovable. We don't have to be tossed back and forth by all of these arguments because we have a reason for why we believe. So I pray, God, that you would strengthen us in a, as we swim against a current in our part of the world that just says, ah, Only the natural exists. I pray that we would have courage to be steadfast and immovable and say, actually, there's overwhelming evidence that the gospel is true. And then, God, I pray that we would abound in the work that you've called us to, knowing that it is never in vain. That our work for the Lord would not be in an attempt to try and earn our salvation or earn your love. But I pray that we would abound in the work that you've called us to because of our salvation and because of your great love and because of our glorious future, that every sacrifice we make, we would say, it's worth it because I know what's coming. So just do that work uh, in each of us, Jesus. And so we just pray all of this in your mighty name. Amen.